Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today on the show, it's raining gods. Hallelujah, it's raining gods. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I'm Bruce. And my name's Abu. That's right. We are going to be talking about God of War for the third time now. Uh, I really have been enjoying these episodes. It's been great just being able to discuss everything about just my thoughts on the whole thing. Oh, for sure. It's, it's been a blast. I mean, we, we were discussing after the last time we recorded how there are rare few people out in the world that will just sit with you and geek out about something as deep and, uh, you know, huge as the lore behind God of War. And I'm happy that I found you, Bruce. And I hope you feel the same about me. I but do, I'm glad I do, we, I we found each other. We found somebody to <laughs> geek out with about this stuff. Yeah, it was, it's been great. I seriously love it. Uh, so actually, in this one, uh, you know, we talked about Kratos and we talked about Atreus. But we forgot the third musketeer in this horrible rampage through Norse yes. mythology. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. A fan favorite. A major character in the in the latest installment, and personally, the character that I identified with the most. Who are you? Me. I'm the greatest ambassador to the gods, the giants, and all the creatures of the Nine Realms. I know every corner of these lands, every language spoken, every war waged, every deal struck. They call me Mimir, smartest man alive. And I have the answer to your every question. Why does the son of Odin hunt us? Okay, there are a few gaps in my knowledge. So before we jump into today's episode, because we're going to talk about Mimir, but we're also going to be blowing up the lore and talking about essentially the idea of multiple pantheons in the world of God of War, because that, I wouldn't even say it was hinted, I would say it was made pretty explicitly clear in the it latest God of War face, series. up in our face, you know? Yeah, yeah, really smacked in the face with it. But we now know for certain that there are multiple pantheons that exist uh, in the lore and in the universe of God of War. So we're going to discuss that, what the ramifications of that might be, what that implies about gods and the worlds that they inhabit in God of War. Before we get to all of that, though, Bruce, I want you to, I want you to level with me. Okay. And I need you to seriously answer this question. If I was a disembodied head... Which I'm, which I'm not, to be clear. If I was, though, and I asked you to carry me around on your belt, would you? Uh, like forever? <laughs> like, the, I, I guess I could do the weekends. <laughs> but, like, uh. Bruce, this was a moment for you to solidify our friendship, <laughs> and you're here at the negotiating table <laughs> trying to negotiate out a contract. <laughs> <laughs> this was a simple yes or no answer. Moving on, because we I clearly now know where we stand in this friendship. No, no, no. I'd carry you around. Okay. 
All right. I'll, All I'll right. accept that. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's dig into Mimir a little bit. Yes. Um, because he's like you said, he's a he's a crucial character. We meet him pretty early on in the in the latest God of War game, and he he plays a huge part. Yeah, he's met at like the uh, end of the first act, um, where like the world really kind of expands and opens up. And you know, up until that time, you just have Kratos and Atreus kind of going back and forth. And you know, honestly, at that point, it gets kind of not stale, but just like you know, black and white, just like father and son. But with this Mimir, he just throws a whole wrench in the whole situation. He's just this delightful Scottish dude uh, that they find at the top of the mountain, um, like in front of an old gate. Casually of, stuck to a tree. Casually stuck to a tree. Uh, <laughs> that would uh, be, you know, his prison for all eternity as he is tortured by Odin. Uh, Mimir in Norse mythology is just very, you know, well known as just very wise, uh, very knowing and seeing all and helps Odin out of just, you know, understanding things and having a greater knowledge. So in at least this interpretation of Mimir, we come across him when he is in this prison stuck to a tree at the top of a mountain in Midgard. That's where Atreus and God of War come across him. He's stuck to this tree because Odin began to be suspicious of him. His initial job was to essentially be Odin's advisor and an ambassador between the Aesir gods and the Vanir gods. He also befriended the giants at some point, and Odin became extremely suspicious. Odin obviously hates the giants. His son Thor has murdered many of them and has a long, long list of dead giants <laughs> on his hands. Right. But Odin eventually gets suspicious of Mimir and then Being a punishes him, lover. sticks him to that tree, tortures him, and that's where we come across him in the fourth game. Right. Uh, and this is more or less through God of War that they're kind of painting him this way. Uh, there's very not much known about Mimir in what we have in just um, written texts about him. Uh, so his his origin is very mysterious. And I really like the way that this game kind of puts him, you know, aside from Kratos, uh, who is a, just a living, breathing example of a god being in another pantheon. Uh, Mimir is also an outsider. Right. And that's huge. That's, that's going to be a big part of our discussion later about there being many pantheons and ma many gods in this world. But we'll get into the theories about who he actually is and where he comes from a little bit later on. But for now, it's important to just know that he's the Norse god of knowledge and wisdom. And um, now he befriended Kratos and Atreus on their adventure. And he also fills us in on a lot of exposition, which yeah. is also his role. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's so creative and interesting how they do this because uh, they he, they have to cut off his head uh, and he is re then revived uh, later on. Uh, and he just kind of hangs off of Kratos' belt through the entire game, just spouting off exposition. But it seems so organic because, you know, Mimir is always such just a know-it-all. It's not really so much of like reading a textbook or, you know, having some narrator in the skies talk about what had happened. It's just in a conversation, the way that Mimir would probably tell anyone. Exactly. It's like built into his character, which stepping outside the lore a little bit and talking about the actual storytelling technique, that's a brilliant way to sort of introduce us, the player, and also introduce Kratos and Atreus to this world of Norse mythology, is to use Mimir as this character, this wise god, this god who's full of knowledge, to essentially explain that knowledge to somebody who doesn't know anything about it. 
Absolutely. But also, his personality is a breath of fresh air between a very naive young boy and <laughs> Kratos, the god of no fun. Oh, for sure. For sure. If I may, I would also like to add the title of God of Fun to <laughs> Mimir's laundry list of titles because he he honestly, you're right, he he brings a lot of levity to to a very serious and honestly dark game overall and story overall. He brings a lot of the humorous moments and he 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 really uh you know, the the wisecracking Mimir was definitely something that was needed. It's sort of like, you know, the the Disney mascot like Genie or like Olaf from Frozen or, you know, um the gargoyles from Notre Dame. Like it's right. always just like this out of place character who's like very good at comic relief uh, that somehow fits in. Uh, but in this one, he just fits really well. For sure. Lemire, how'd you come to be in these lines? Lad, there comes a time in every man's life when he changes his name and heads north to make a new start. If you live long enough to do this many times over, you might end up as far north as this place. By the time I arrived, I already knew Odin by his reputation, and so I set to demonstrate my worth by coming to him with something I knew he'd value. A mystic well of knowledge. Or rather, I should say, a well of water laced with enough mystic mushrooms to make a god see visions. Okay, so let's move on to sort of the meat and potatoes of this episode, the larger discussion that we wanted to have. And the reason we wanted to also talk about Mimir is because he plays a critical part in this discussion. And that's the idea that there are many pantheons and multiple pantheons in this world. Exactly. At the end of God of War 3, you kind of see just the world collapsing in on itself, the storms raging and tidal waves uh, swallowing up people and earthquakes and the sun is no longer in control. Everything is kind of in chaos because of the absence of the gods. And you don't really know what is beyond that horizon, what Kratos goes to or escapes to or like what is even happening outside of Greece is this affecting the whole world is this just affecting Greece is this just affecting the Mediterranean you don't know and it's really something that is I guess not you know the the center uh, crux of the whole discussion but it's something that uh, God of War in 2018 really kind of runs with uh, just with the fact that there is like a huge multiverse of different pantheons uh, that exist within the different geographic locations of the cultures that lie within them. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to point out that we're not just spitting bullshit. There are some very, very explicit and clear hints throughout the main story of the latest God of War game that make it obvious that this is in the world. There are multiple pantheons and there are other gods. And there are moments in the game where it's made obvious that these gods have interacted. They've met with each other. And, uh, you know, obviously Kratos is in Norse mythology and he's fighting these other gods. He's interacting with them. So these pantheons seem to at least communicate in some way. It's not really yet known how well or how even they communicate. I mean, we still don't even know how Kratos got to Scandinavia. Hey there, Lore Party listeners, Michael here. I just want to take a few moments and encourage you to listen to my show here on Lore Party. It's called Minigame. Every episode, I take about five to ten minutes 
and explore a unique perspective on games as small as her story or as big as Wolfenstein or Star Wars. While the other guys like to talk about lore and history and game universes, I like to focus on things like plot and character and theme. Now if you disagree with my opinion or my perspective, I would love to hear your voice. Join in the discussion at our subreddit at r slash loreparty. Thank you very much for listening, and now back to the show. So, um, Amir, uh, because he has a Scottish accent, at first I was just like, why does this guy have a Scottish accent? That doesn't even make sense. But it's actually because he is from uh, Celtic uh, mythology and the pantheons there, and that apparently he um, uh, he mentions in uh, one of the many uh, boatside conversations that he has with Atreus and Kratos that he used to work for a fairy king in Scotland, well, possibly Scotland. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's Celtic, so usually it would be there. And it, it really shows that, you know, he's he, he came from another completely different, you know, part of the world and went over apparently possibly to other places, but uh, found his home in uh, Norse mythology uh, in Midgard. Right. He's another outsider like Kratos is. And that's really our first hint in the game that... There's more to this world than just the Greek pantheons and the Norse pantheon. There are other gods, and they're traversing between these sort of geographical areas. And Mimir is the first one we come across that isn't Kratos that proves that to us. Yes, because uh, at this point, we have only seen Kratos. Uh, and at this point, we only see him as an anomaly. Uh, we don't know whether or not what he did to get to Midgard was out of the ordinary or rare or, you know, the first time a god has ever gone to another uh, plane of existence of other gods, because, you know, he, he's a man of many firsts of killing the entire pantheon. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what he's capable of. You're right. Mimir traveling proves to us that Kratos is not entirely unique in the way that he traveled from his own pantheon to a completely different set of gods. Uh, and that really, that really, Mimir really is like sort of the connecting thread that proves that this should be possible for anyone and everyone, not just because Kratos is special or just because he's the protagonist. Yeah, uh, there, there's also two other uh, really big um, parts that also lend itself to kind of opening and expanding what the possibilities are here. One is that um, we see uh, in one of the pivotal moments at the beginning of the third act of Kratos going back to get his Blades of Chaos and talking to Athena, uh, Mimir shouts at him like, oh, I get it now. You're the ghost of Sparta. And like, that is a colloquial nickname, something that would be known through, you know, hearsay and knowledge of that place. Mimir somehow knows that. And mm -hmm. has heard of him. And he knew that Kratos had killed his uh, entire pantheon. 
which I think the word would get around if somebody casually wiped out a bunch of gods. I think other gods, like, on, exactly. you know, on God Reddit would be like, oh, shit, did you guys hear? Oh, my God, did you guys movie? hear? Kratos killed everyone in his pantheon. Oh, right, hats, this, no this, way. Some guy named the Ghost of Sparta, like, went on a spree, man. It was crazy. But, but, that, but that means that these aren't just isolated, you know, realms. They can be able to converse with one another somehow. Yeah. Then we see in Tyr's temple uh, that, you know, Kratos, uh, Atreus, and Mimir go down, and it shows, like, this huge wall of just Tyr meeting gods from the Japanese Shinto religion, from the Egyptian religion, uh, and also Greece over at the Pantheon. Um, and it also shows that Tyr was pretty much on, like, a diplomatic mission trying to converse, uh, trade, and you know, exchange information and cultures with other gods from other cultures. That shows that they are real and that they are tangible and that they can visit one another. Yeah, of the, of like the three things we've pointed out so far, this third one, Tears Temple, is probably the most explicit and it's huge. It, it like changes the way you have to think about the God of War universe because we're no longer just in this singular world centered entirely on Kratos and Greece. Now the world opens up and we realize that maybe these gods have been communicating the whole time and it wasn't just these isolated uh, universes. Uh, it, it, this is huge. This blew my mind when I was playing. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I think it's time that we want to go back and uh, go to our big whole Mima Tales discussion here just about what this means for the entire franchise. because. I'll, I'll hunk, I kind of want to say this, I don't know how you'll feel about it, but it's sort of like the um, beginning of like a, a Marvel Universe, cinematic universe, you know, kind of thing where- Yes! You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, God of War 1, like, the original God of War trilogy was Iron Man, and then Tears Temple was the after credit scene in Iron Man. And you're just like, what the fuck? There is more going on here than I anticipated. <laughs> Mimir's just like, have you ever heard about the Avengers Initiative? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. I, I can't believe I hadn't th thought of that myself. Like, Santa Monica Studios is setting up their own universe of sorts with multiple gods who have these varied, incredible powers and mythologies and stories around them. And they're all finally connecting and coming together. But it, but it also, it also like sort of fundamentally changes the way we have to think about the idea of gods and religion, right? Like that's a huge part of this. The idea that there is not one pantheon or there is not one god in particular, but that there are many gods. And in fact, all gods, as far as we know, we have no proof that only some pantheons exist we have to assume that all of them do <laughs> that's kind of a crazy thought especially for for like us growing up uh, i i don't know how you were raised religiously but i was, I was raised christian and I, I was raised muslim and both of those religions believe in only one god and i think the idea of like every god existing is kind of mind-blowing well actually uh, i'm gonna put on my like huge fucking history nerd uh, hat on. Yes. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. Um, this is something that I was just, I had a whole afternoon of just like typing a bunch of notes up on this. The thought or the concept of only, you know, 
your religion is wrong because mine must exist and must be right is wholly a monotheistic kind of thinking. Monotheism is the term of believing in one God, only one God. If my God exists, it is the only one. Um, this was something that was very new. In the ancient world, you don't see a lot of um, wars being fought over gods, mostly because in polytheism, which is the worship of many gods, it doesn't really come up that your god is right or wrong. In that concept, polytheism believes that no, there is no god that is powerful enough to be able to tend to each individual, and that there must be many different gods that uh, cover different needs and aspects of the world. So when different cultures had come together or interacted with one another, and they said, you know, I got these gods, and the other person is like, I have these gods. It wasn't like your gods, you know, not real. It was more of, oh, sweet, different gods. Uh, it wasn't exactly, you know, always that way. And, you know, some people did, you know, get really mad about it, but it was still acknowledging that those gods existed. They might not have been stronger or better or faster than your own gods, but it was more of an understanding that these gods do exist in the same way or in the same place, and that perhaps their realm or their territory would be in that culture. Right. The, the only differentiator between these different gods would be the territories, presumably, that they look over and exactly. the people that believe in them. That, that would sort of dictate where these gods physically exist in the world. Absolutely. But with monotheism, obviously, you know, if you only worship one god and that that god has the whole entirety of all existence in their command and uh, divination, it is a lot more difficult to even, like, except that there are other cultures that have gods because that can't be true because I have one God and there is only one God. Yeah, that's a great insight. Like your notes, first and foremost, are incredibly long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if this was like a live stream, I would definitely throw up your notes because it's like almost an entire full page on this one section alone. But I digress. A truly incredible point, I think, that you're making. And the very first thing that I thought when I looked over your notes, and I, at first I was nodding along and I was like, yep, yep, this totally makes sense. Nailing it, Bruce. Great. This is going to be a wonderful episode. But the first thing that came to mind when I looked at all of these notes was somebody like, somebody from ancient times, somebody like Ramses, I don't know, Ptolemy, Ramses, whoever, yeah, playing God of War on his PlayStation 4. On the, on the flat screen TV that he also has in his, in his uh, palace and coming across this theory of multiple gods and being c completely unsurprised, right? Because he, he's just like, yeah, man, that, yeah. that's how it works. <laughs> Those are the Greeks gods. Like, they're fine, whatever. I think it's interesting that th this reveal, this idea of many gods acro existing across many pantheons and across the world. It's not new. It, it's not new. And I think in particular, it's shocking to us only because that's just not how we were raised and that's how a lot of the major religions in the world today they don't exist they don't believe that right they don't believe in the idea of like an, a different god can also exist alongside mine so so i think this reveal has even more impact to players like us like this wouldn't have that much of an impact on somebody like ramses who's just used to that idea of other gods exist in other places 
That concept uh, that we just talked about is not new, but what is new that God of War brings to the table is the fact that these gods collaborate, communicate, and, you know, interact with one another. It's as if, you know, they're talking together like they are different tribes of people or nations or cultures where they could be able to team up or you know, uh, create even greater pantheons. Like the Avengers! (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I can't wait for God of War Infinity Wars. Oh my god. (laughs) The more God of War games that come out, I feel like the more I'm going to be exposed to mythologies that I just didn't know about. Like, Norse mythology to me, before this God of War entry came out and before I played it, was something I had zero interaction with. And this game completely opened up my world to Norse mythology and the stories behind it, the incredible characters, and I'm excited for what future titles are going to open up for me too. Like I can't wait. But I think you're I think you're right in the fact that God of War introduces the idea of these gods interacting because this idea of polytheism that that you laid out makes it clear that the humans interact and accept each other's gods to some extent. They but tolerate them. There's really yeah, tolerate's a good word, but I think The gods themselves, there's no explicit examples of gods across beliefs interacting. That is a new idea that God of War introduces, and I think it's kind of mind-boggling. And what's interesting to think about here is what Tyr is actually talking about, what these gods are talking about when they're interacting. Like, what is he doing when he's going to Egypt and hanging out with Anubis? He's being like Captain America. That's what's going on. You're just gathering all the gods together because there's a bigger threat. There's like an alien god and he's coming to take like their powers that make them go. I don't know. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let, let's let the uh, writers of God of War handle this one, Bruce. I think your, your ideas are wonderful. <laughs> your enthusiasm is great. But I think they have, an, they have some cohesiveness going on. With Halfway world. through, I was just like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> there's a ton of unanswered questions that this brings up for the in-universe lore. Uh, some of them I'd like to bring up and discuss with you because I wrote them down. And again, we're in total theory territory at this point. The facts that we discussed at the top of the episode about Mimir and the hints about multiple pantheons are established in the game. What happens in the future? Nobody but the writers and developers behind the next games know. But I think it would be fun to theorize a little bit and ask some of these larger questions. So you ready for question one? Let's do it. What happens if one pantheon decides they want to wipe out another pantheon? I was thinking a lot about this. And first of all, <laughs> we we seen what happens when a pantheon is gone. And it's just pretty much a literal power vacuum where there is chaos, where there is no control. There are no gods there to be able to harness in the elements in a sense of order. What would probably happen would be like if one country were to completely wipe out another uh, civilization, their gods, their temples, they would all be gone. But it would almost probably be like a god and like a pantheon destroying another pantheon. Like these are the old gods, the dead gods, the gods that, you know, are no longer worshipped. They are forgotten. And those are, you know, mentioned sometimes uh, in ancient societies where they're just saying like, you know, we have the gods here, but, you know, they used to worship the old gods, you know, um, it would be something like that. It would, you know, probably yeah, or some guy named ghost of something or another wiped him the fuck out, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, another thing is, uh, fun fact, the writers in the original God of War trilogy were actually uh, throwing around this idea of having God of War 3 ending sort of where Kratos gathers the gods from other pantheons, like like oh my e- god, Egyptian gods and you know like Roman gods and different gods from there, and having them come together to attack the Greek pantheon. It was this idea that's always kind of been around of just like having Kratos branch out, but no one really knew where or how to start. Uh, and I like this way. I like that he's like Kratos doesn't even know anything about. The other pantheons, he obviously only knows Greek culture and the Greek gods. So it it's a learning experience for him. And that sort of makes sense, right? Like if the gods sort of have like God Facebook going on in, in between them, Kratos was not a god from the start. He was a human. So it makes sense that he wouldn't know about other pantheons and they'd be entirely new to him. So did Zeus know Tyr? Did Zeus know about the other gods? Could he have called for help and like say, hey, my son's tearing shit up over here. You guys get to get over <laughs> here, please. <laughs> right. Like, could he call up Anubis? Could he could he call up these other gods and just be like, we need some help? Or are the relationships between these gods like not good? Maybe Tyr, in all honesty, is like historically the first and only god to go on a diplomatic mission maybe historically they've just always constantly either avoided each other or hated each other and been in conflict we don't know it probably makes a lot of sense to kind of stay where your realm is because it's where you're safe it's where you well okay it's not where you're safe you're in pantheon <laughs> you're always marked but it's where you're kind of at least familiar. If you were a god and you know how gods operate, it would be almost suicide to go to a place that you are unfamiliar with completely and say, hey, I'm trying to stake my claim here. You would get bum-rushed by every god and demigod in the entire pantheon of wherever yeah. you go. You <laughs> That's get your true. shit wrecked. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please help us pray to the podcast gods and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. You can also find us on Reddit at r slash lore party. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.